Well, welcome once again to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Shauna David, and every week we'll be taking an in-depth look at the women's game, whether it's the Champions League or the National League, we have it all covered for you right here on the Women's Football Podcast. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll look back at the opening weekend of the new WSL season, including that stunning 6-1 win for Arsenal over Reading. We'll be analysing all the key results in the championship, including an opening day draw for Durham against Liverpool. And we'll be hearing from Durham captain Sarah Wilson later on in the pod. We'll be getting reaction to the news that some national federations have announced equal pay for their men's and women's teams. And we head long distance to hear the latest on the NWSL and Brazil with Jacqueline Rocha. And we'll be heading to New Zealand to hear about how the early preparations for the 2023 World Cup are getting on. Well, it's great to be back once again, and we've got a lot to discuss on this week's show. So joining me this week, as always, former Aston Villa and FA Media Officer Emily Lyles. Good to have you back, Emily. Pleasure to be here, Seanad. And journalist Mittal Sanji. Mittal, great to see you. Great. Your first time on the pod. Yes, it is. Um, it's good to be featuring in the Women's Football Podcast, and I'm really excited to see how it unfolds. And another newbie, Bella Butler, is also with us. Bella, great to have you on board this week. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Well, guys, we'll kick off with the Women's Super League. It's back. Um, it's better than ever. And it opened with an intriguing fixture on Saturday. Uh, newly promoted Aston Villa playing at Villa Park for this one. Um, entertaining last season's runners-up Manchester City. Um, pretty much a bit of a defensive horror show, really. Gave two goals to Georgia Stanway. She probably won't score much easier goals this season, um, it's fair to say. First win for Gareth Taylor. Emily, we'll start off with you. Uh, I think you summed it up really well there. I think, yes, there were two mistakes for the goals. And I think you just saw there that at that level, you can't afford to do that because players like Georgia Stanway will just pounce on on any error or any hesitation. But what I will say is I do think it was quite a professional display from City as well because they went into that on the back of a defeat. It's always tricky, the opening game. It can always throw up a few results. So from their point of view, it was very, very good. I saw that after the game, Villa head coach Gemma Davis said she felt there was a bit too much nervous energy for Villa from the start. And I think you could see that and it would be hard to argue with that assessment really. Um, what I will say is as well, Villa did have what looked to be a perfectly good goal disallowed before the interval, which it does make you wonder, had that been given, we could have been looking at a slightly different story and a slightly different second half. Georgia Stanway was absolutely exceptional. She had a host of chances. She could have had a hat-trick before the break. And I think with her, it's frightening to think that she's still only 21 years of age. Um, so I'd probably say overall, the game probably ended how we expected it to end but what I will say is I think there were plenty of positives from an Aston Villa point of view to say it was their first ever game in the top flight. Mm. Bella I'll come to you the fact that they were playing at Villa Park made a difference at all obviously Villa usually play their games at the Bescott Stadium do you think that perhaps had an impact on their performance? I think it definitely threw them off a bit and I think Man City definitely showed uh, like a, a level of professionalism that just seemed to be out of reach for Villa. Um, and it was even just a shame that there were two incorrect offside uh, calls in the game. So it really the score should have been 3-1 at the end. 
and Sam Mewis's goal should have really counted. And it was great to see her play, especially as a new signing. So yeah, I think it definitely affected Villa. I think it definitely threw them off their game a bit. And they seemed to have the first half hour, a lot of excited energy and it took them a while to kind of settle down. And then in the second half, I think they did play a bit better. But uh, yeah, Georgia Stanway was just uh, first class. Mittal, how do you see the season going for Villa? Like we've said, newly promoted, perhaps had a bit of nervous energy um, in their first game in the WSL. How do you see the season going for them? I see the season has been more fiercely competitive as ever. And already we're going to see teams that have already adapted into the demands of the WSL, particularly like with Spurs and West Ham, which I covered yesterday. They look like a much more of a promising side and they kind of adapted to, like I said, they've already adapted to the demands of the league. So I'm going to see for Villa, this is more of a less, um, this new environment they're in, a much more competitive environment. Um, it's all about taking each game by game to see how they can get along and how they really can integrate into, into the league, into this league. It would be interesting to see how it really would unfold. And Emily, 100th win for Steph Houghton in the WSL for Manchester City. Um, what a career she's had. Yeah, Steph, what a player, what a career, what a person, what an individual. Absolutely phenomenal. And it's, it's quite remarkable to think that she's obviously played for Arsenal before. She played for Sunderland back in the day. So... I'd, I'd be really interested to know what her total number of appearances are, and that might be something that I'll, I'll certainly look at and maybe report back on next week. But yeah, absolutely phenomenal achievement. And I think just going back to the point on Villa, coming up against the likes of Steph Horton, you're not going to have that every single week in that division. So again, the fact that they were able to sort of hassle and Harry put a bit of pressure on, especially towards the end of the first half and then the second half bodes well for them. And they'll only you know, they'll only gain benefits from that experience of playing against those types of players. Probably what was the game of the round, Chelsea travelled to Man United, where Sam Kerr, who we talked a lot about last week um, for missing a few of chance, few chances, um, she definitely took a chance this week. She put Chelsea ahead, but Leah Goulton equalised midway into the second half, uh, which after a, a lovely move, I thought it was a great goal. A good even game, but Chelsea... Bella probably come to you for this one. Chelsea probably frustrated um, to not win that game. Yeah, I think it was it was such a great game to watch. Um, it was you know very strong on both sides. Uh, there wasn't really one side that was better than the other. I thought that they were both pretty equally uh, strong there. Um, I thought it was quite interesting how after Leah Galton's equaliser, they then brought on Pernil Hardo, who's just you know coming as the world's most expensive footballer, and uh, with Beth England as well. Uh, who was player of the Women's Super League last year. Uh, it was almost quite comical as if they're like, right, here we go, we're going to try and take the lead now. And they just didn't quite have it in them, um, which was a shame. And it was great to see Fran Kirby's return as well. She looks to be almost in the best shape of her career coming back from um, being ill. So, yeah, it was a really good game to come into. I thought Man, uh, Man United played well. Um, a very strong side for Chelsea as the reigning champion. So it'll be interesting to see how the two teams do for the rest of the season. Mm. You mentioned Pernil Harder there, made her debut for Chelsea. A few days, obviously, like you mentioned, world's most expensive female footballer. Um, and just a couple of weeks after playing in the Champions League final as well. How do you guys, how do you think she'll do in the WSL? No, I think, look, I think her record speaks for itself. Her experience speaks for itself. I think ultimately, you know, 
you don't want to put too much pressure on her because I know we spoke last week about Sam Kerr and the sort of adaptation process that she's going through. Great to see her off the mark at the weekend off the back of that conversation as well. But no, I think, look, she's going to be a brilliant addition. She does come with a price tag, which does present its own challenges from a personal point of view. But she's the kind of player she's played at the highest level for a long time. And I'm sure she will be, you know, she will be used to that, that sort of pressure on a regular basis. Vital, do you think, um, can Manchester United gate crash the top three this season? How do you see the season going for them? I can see them crashing into the top three. I can I can envisage it right now. Um, I definitely say, like even from last season when I was covering the WSL, um, I do feel they need to have they need to have that kind of extra edge if they if they're going to be in the top three. When I say the extra edge, I mean like for example, they need to be picking up points week in and week out in a, with that kind of high level of consistency because um, we've seen that last season. I remember Chelsea. Arsenal, Man City, they'll just keep on winning games, winning games. And I do feel that um, they kind of keep their foot off the pedal at some, some of the games, especially games where you know that you can get the three points. You must, they must seize that moment and able to convert kind of chances into, into goals. The big win probably of the weekend, Arsenal got off to a flying start with that 6-1 win over Reading. Um, Bella and Emily probably want to forget for the Royals this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, it was an exceptional performance from Arsenal. And it's kind of like you look at, say, the two featured games, if you like, yesterday with the Arsenal-Reading game and then the United-Chelsea game. And you got two very contrasting affairs there, really. You got one completely dominant display from Arsenal. Kim Little opened the scoring. Absolute legend of the game. Great ball from Liam Williamson, who's just looking better and better every season. Jill Rod hat-trick. Just, just a fantastic display all round. And I think it's one of those where, yeah, you do have to just put that one to one side if you're Reading and think, you know, we've got to move on. It could happen to, to any team really in that league against, against Arsenal. Well, I think as well, uh, Arsenal just seem to, again, it's like this level of professionalism. They just seem to be one bit more professional compared to um, Reading. I mean, Reading, even Jess Fishlock, her shirt was spelt wrong. I don't know if anyone noticed there was a C in her name and you think she's captain for Wales 113 times and how are they still spelling her, her name wrong um, and it just goes to show that this is you know one of the most one of the best leagues in the world for women's football and yet there's still some things that need to be fine-tuned in order to make it um, equivalent to the men's I think. The other thing I would say as well it's probably important to remember that Reading were playing their first competitive game since February and Arsenal of course have had that Champions League campaign so even there you've got you know difference in preparation and difference in readiness. Uh, we'll move on to Mital, the game that you were at it was a London derby between Tottenham and West Ham with Adrian Leon who scored two in her last game of the season equalising after Grace Fisk had put through had put through one in her own net. Mital, you were there, but before we get your opinion on the game, you caught up with one of Tottenham's head coaches, Juan Amanos, and we can hear from him now. Fair result today. Would you, what's your thoughts on today's game? I, th I, th I think that we will have taken our chances, especially the first 20 min minutes of the game. Could have been a completely different story, and then, but then, like always, we didn't, and then... It was, it was a fair result. You could say that if you look at chances from both sides, maybe we go a bit of the upper hand on that. But, but it was maybe a very transitional game where none of the teams, apart from us at the beginning, dominate. And 
and yeah, I think that it was probably not the most enjoyable game to watch for fans, but it's the way it was. It was the first game of the season, and, and, and I think the girls worked really well in there. They just need to tailor a couple of things. But quick, Graham had her, yeah. her two chances were hit over the bar. Um, do you feel, after, after those two opportunities, you felt that the goal was coming? Yeah, you always feel like that, but the problem is not because you have had one chance, there is going to be another one straight after, isn't it? And in this case, we got two with key different situations. Shot from like the edge of the box, we, we know she's uh, unbelievable and very good player to do that. The other one is a fantastic combination with her cross that finish on the crossbar with, with her header. I definitely think that after that, the goal is coming and it ended up coming on the, on the second half. Uh, it's a question of, of making sure that those goals in and then also some other of the combinations probably and around that final third that we will have done a bit, a bit different we, I'm sure we will have end up with the three points today and do you feel more needs to be done in terms of um, getting green those converting those kind of chances into goals yeah definitely like as a coaching team and, and I think every team in the world wants to wants to produce those goals and works really hard for it we do I think the girls uh, work really hard on the defending side so as well the, the, the forwards I think they, they really, really, really work for, for the rest of, of, the, of the teammates. But yeah, I think we will, we will work and, and, and that is this the first game of the season and, and there is a lot to improve but there is also a lot of, a lot of positives. And what did you make of the new signings today and how you can really see them integrate into the rest of the team? Oh, they, they are fantastic. First of all, as, as always at Tottenham uh, Hotspur, we, we make sure that we, we are very happy with them as people. I think they are fantastic women. The five of them, they integrated with the group really well because the group human-wise is, is quality and then on the pitch they are definitely going to help us don't they? I think we saw uh, today Rachel coming on and, and Alana coming on I think they were fantastic uh, yeah, I think uh, the, we are very excited to have them and to see what the future brings and we also felt that um, the game was kind of more wide open once you've taken off from Rihanna Dean who has scored in this fixture three times last mm. season in all those three games and she, was, she scored all the decisive goals that um, led to three points, but why, why didn't it happen this time round? Okay, this time well, we we obviously did, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a game plan. Uh, Rihanna has been playing very well today. She's done a great job up there for the team. And, and what can I say? I think that, that it was what we thought it was required. And, and Rihanna has is, is been, is been really good, but it was a decision that we made because she was working really hard in the first half and we wanted like to find a little bit different probably on the right-hand side with Lou. And we found it. We got a couple of occasions where she penetrated there. It's a shame that now we couldn't finalise the, the, the outcome in there. And lastly, what's the positives you can take out of today's game to move forward? I think the group, obviously, the group is working. They're convinced. They they believe into into what we do, and and they are they are definitely producing things that, that you know the future is, is exciting for us. And I think our work, our work ethic, and, and how we went on the pitch with the attitude we went on the pitch, and some of the stuff we did the defending and, and on the ball, it was really good. And we will be a question of keep keep developing those aspects. Well, Mitam, who spoke with Juan after the game, what were your overall thoughts um, on the game and how it went? Um, I think the draw was kind of a fair result for both sides. Tottenham and they had a, two glorious opportunities from through actually through Kit Graham, who long range shot that hit that rattled the crossbar. Um, I always, but after those opportunities, I did actually feel that they were they were, they were growing more into the game and they were um, going going to get their first goal. They're going to break the deadlock, and they eventually did uh, for an own goal. But afterwards, I did feel that um, they fell off a bit of, off the pace. 
after um, Leon's brilliant, sublime finish in moments later. And especially what I found really um, a bit shocking, but in a way, I was a bit surprised in the sense that how they took off Rihanna Dean, who has scored in, in each of her last three fixtures last season, um, was not as effective as she was in, the, in those three games. And that, for me, I felt that that kind of um, opened the game for West Ham and they, all, they were kind of hitting hitting into the final foot more often as the home side. And they were much more confident of getting the three points in the end. And they were so close at the final seconds through, through substitute Ruby Grant, who had a glorious opportunity when a cross was delivered into the penalty area and she failed to, um, to put the ball at the back of the net. And he went actually agonisingly wide. But it was such a glorious, glorious opportunity. And it was... A, brilliant chance to even actually end the game in fitting style but it wasn't the case but um, there seems to be a happy camp at the at, for, for West Ham um, they've had a really good pre-season and also they both sides have made some really good signings and I felt they were very much impactful overall in some shape or form they, those signings were very impactful they're quite effective and I think for me I think West Ham should be more pleased with their performance because I do feel that they've been defensively drilled very well yesterday. And I do feel that with, with this side, I think they can maybe go and achieve a bit, a bit better this season because they've brought in a lot of good players and they've, and they've got a lot of different cultural backgrounds, a lot of personalities into that team right now that can, they can able to dig up results and able to get points in each game this season. And I, and I do feel that Matt Beard's side actually looks much more of a better prospect as you to um, take the club even further. Yeah, like you said, both Spurs and West Ham have made some fantastic signings over the summer. So I think we're going to see a lot of good football from them this season. Um, moving on, well, other results saw Birmingham, who were the only team, interestingly enough, to have an all-British squad. They lost 2-0 to Brighton and Everton comprehensively beat Bristol City by four goals to nil with their new signing from Montpellier, Valerie Gauvin, scoring on her debut for the Robins. Well, it's fair to say the championship, the game of the weekend, was at Prenton Park where Liverpool took on Durham and journalist Chris Pratt uh, joins us now and he was at the game Chris, it looked like Liverpool were going to kick off their bid for promotion with a win, but were pegged back late on, weren't they? Yeah, very much so. It was uh, it was a late equaliser by Beth Heppel. It was a fantastic goal as well. She uh, she saw the keeper a little bit off the line and, and sort of chipped it into the into the far corner. But uh, yeah, they were on the way for three three points in the in the very first um, Championship game and. Um, it's fair to say it was a, a really close encounter. Uh, Durham showed a lot of great determination. They were physical. They were really up for the challenge. And uh, Liverpool got uh, not a rude awakening. I don't think that they weren't prepared for, for what was going to happen um, yesterday. It was going to be a tough game. Obviously, Durham finished third in the championship uh, when all was said and done last season. Um, and at the end of the day, they had to settle for the one point rather than three. In terms of Liverpool's performance, did you see enough from them to suggest that they could potentially bounce straight back up? Yeah, I think I think I did. I think they've got um, they've still got a good squad there. They've made a, a couple of additions. Rachel Furness, the, the goal scorer yesterday, was uh, for me was by far and away their their best player. She also took a, a goal really well in the first half. Um, she sort of drove that one 
into the far corner. I think that they've got enough about them. I did speak to her at the end of the game. Um, and yeah, you've got to remember when you're doing post-match interviews, they, they are post-match. Um, and so obviously feelings are a bit raw. But she did say that, you know, she thought they underperformed yesterday um, in, in the game. They, they probably didn't create enough chances. But... All said and done, I think yeah, I think they've definitely got a squad that are good enough. Um, There's some big players who who probably didn't perform as well as they they would have liked yesterday um, for Liverpool. But at the end of the day, they, they are readjusting, and I think uh, I definitely think they'll be thereabouts there or thereabouts come the end of the season. In terms of Durham, like you mentioned, third last season, you mentioned you know a, a good performance from them. What do you think we can expect from them this season? Well, I've just said that, that um, Liverpool will be there or thereabouts, but on that performance yesterday, there's no reason why Durham couldn't be there or thereabouts as well. Um, they've, they've got a little bit of flair in the side, but most of all, they're industrious, they're hard-working. They, they never gave up on that game. And one thing that was really significant was they were down to 10 players as well at the time that they scored, and they had to play about the last 10 minutes with 10 players. Uh, due to an injury to Iris Akterhoff when they've made all the substitutions. Um, and again, I spoke to Beth Heppel after the game and she said, you know, that really galvanised them. She said, we just looked at each other and said, right, we're going to have to um, dig in here and we've got nothing to lose. And they didn't. And um, that late equaliser was a, a good signal of that. And if they can go to one of the, the favourites for the division, uh, first game of the season and bagger point in those um, circumstances, I, I think they'll be there or thereabouts as well. And we can get the thoughts of Durham captain Sarah Wilson and she caught up with our very own Emily. I know you had a long, albeit fruitful, trip to Merseyside yesterday. And just on, yeah. that, note, <laughs> just, just on that note, there's only really one place to start yesterday's 1-1 draw away at Liverpool. Can you just talk us through that game from your point of view and your overall thoughts on the game and the performance, please? Yeah, I mean, it was it was obviously a fantastic game to start the season with. Obviously, it's probably going to be, well, one of the biggest, if not one of, well, pretty much, yeah, one of the biggest games of the season. So it was obviously a, a massive one to get started with. Um, to be honest, it, in the first half as well, we feel like we did have, like, were in control, we had a few chances. It, I mean, it's tough when you go to somewhere like that. I, I can't see many teams going there and picking up many points this year, to be honest. So... When we did go behind, it was it was against the runner play, and it was it was like a bit of a defensive error from the from the full squad. You, you couldn't really single any like single out anyone. It definitely wasn't anything like that. It wasn't an individual mistake. It was a little bit of a like a full team error, and it, they just caught us sleeping for that that one little moment. And to be fair to the to the Liverpool. They, they took the goal well. If they finished it well, and what we could have done there is just kind of rolled over, but. We just kind of thought, look, we've got nothing to lose. We just need to go out there in the second half and and basically just give it everything, take the game to them. Um, and obviously, we scored in the 87th minute, and that just kind of shows what the team's all about. Like we're, we're never going to give up. Absolutely, and and obviously, we saw Iris Acherhoff taken off for injury. We don't yeah. three substitution breaks, so you weren't able to to replace her. First of all, is she okay? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's when it when it's a knee injury, everyone kind of panics instantly. So, what she she was getting assessed yesterday, and she will continue to get assessed, obviously, over the next couple of days. We've got a, an incredible medical team who will be working alongside them. We've literally just got everything crossed that 
it's maybe not as bad as hope. But we were kind of gutted for Iris as well because she, she had only just come on the pitch and when anything like that happens to anyone, regardless if it's your player or anyone else's player, you don't want to see an injury like that. It wasn't a, a challenge. It wasn't anything malicious. It was just off the ball and, and, and these things happen. But she was obviously really upset after the game. So we just kind of all had a group together and we've just got everything crossed that that it's not going to be as, as bad as what it was like kind of feared in the in the first place. We've just got to keep everything crossed. Just secondly on, on that point, does the fact that you went down to 10 players make that point even more rewarding and pleasing in some respects? It does, because obviously we had we had made with changes and there's the new five sub rule, but we had stopped the game three times and that's something that we've never done before. So it's a, it's like a little bit of a learning process for us as well. Um, when you go down to 10, we kind of thought, right, this can go one way or the other here, you, especially if you're trailing, you, you don't know whether you want to just kind of sit back and protect and just keep it at one, because especially a team like that, and there's obviously the Calabar players that, that we had kind of coming forward and attacking us, we thought, right, we can either go for it or we can just kind of roll over, but we, we didn't and we just went for it, we pressed high and obviously we got the reward in, in the 87th minute and that just it just shows that we were never going to give up yesterday. And of course, this was the club's first competitive game in seven months. And yeah, very, very much renowned for having a really tight group working under yeah. Sanders. How did you retain that togetherness as a group throughout lockdown and even beyond that? Well, to be honest, we've had a really good pre-season. And obviously, when we all went into lockdown first, everyone had to go away. Um, people were doing all the individual plans, we were keeping in touch regularly, um, obviously having Zoom calls. We were kept really, really well informed by the management team the whole way throughout, like letting us know what was going on with the league, with the club. Um, we tried to do a bit, you know, with the quizzes and we did a ready, steady cook and just things like that, trying to keep everyone motivated, keep everyone going. Um, and to be honest, everyone worked so hard individually, getting everything done to make sure that when we come back, everyone was literally ready to go. So when we did come back to pre-season, it was 100 mile an hour. Everyone excited to be back. Um, obviously, the club worked incredibly hard to get all the procedures in place to make it as safe as possible, like in our little bubble. And obviously, along with the support of the FA, so... We just knew that if we were going to start well, that's when it would have to start. We'd have to really, really kick on straight away. Um, and we do have a close-knit group. We've got a, a core of players who have played together for a long time. And the club means absolutely everything. So there's not a lot of movement within the club. Um, obviously, there's girls that have been here from the very start. Um, we have links with the university players coming in and who really, really want to work hard for the shirt and for each other. And I feel like that, that came across really well yesterday. 100%. And just on a personal level, you were, of course, ruled out for a lot of last season through injury. Yeah. How good was it for you personally to be back on that pitch at Frenton Park yesterday? Oh, it was incredible, obviously. Like, obviously, I actually had surgery right before we went into lockdown. So I was quite fortunate to be able to get back before everything put on hold and then how to do the rehab and it, it's tough doing rehab anyone who's been injured especially when you're on your own and so isolated um was literally doing rehab in the back garden like on the deck and just getting everything done because we, we didn't have access to the gym um but we're just so like well supported with the team and there was just constant and regular check-ins which was which was incredible and then 
getting back into pre-season, it tied in really well the way I was at it as well, like getting back to running and, and actually getting back to playing. So yesterday, I, I, I came on obviously late in the second half, um, but it was at a really crucial point and I'm just so happy to have been able to like to be part of that and to be part of that celebration because I honestly think it's one of the best goals we've ever celebrated as a team and I'll never forget that for a long time. You alluded to it there, but you are obviously one of the longest serving players at Durham and, and you have got yeah. a few of those players. And we've seen the Wildcats finish in the top four in recent seasons in what is a very, very competitive league in the championship. So yeah. giving away any sort of trade secrets, if you like, what do you feel is the biggest contributing factor to that consistency and that success? I think, to be honest, it's it's like that northeast factor. I think um, a lot of the players who come from the northeast, like, to be honest, I think everyone will agree. Agree, sorry, it, it's gritty. We'll work hard. Um, there isn't that many top clubs in the northeast like anymore. If that without being like disrespectful or anyone, I mean top teams in the in the top leagues. So if you get that chance, you've just got to stick at it and keep working hard at it. Um, and obviously, we keep saying about that core group who have been there a long time and we know what it means to, to work hard. And um, obviously, it's an independent club. We're not kind of backed by anyone else. We see the hard work that gets put in by the staff and people that work behind the team to, to basically do everything for us. So we know that we've got to put everything that we absolutely can and do on that pitch and just work hard for those and work hard for each other as well. The six years that you've been at Durham, the women's game has grown and continues to develop. What would you say are the biggest differences that you've noticed both on and off the field from when you started out or even kind of pre-WSL2 with Durham when you, when you started out in the game? I don't know. It's difficult to kind of put your finger on it, but I, I just look back to when I was really, really young, kind of starting out in the game. There wasn't that many opportunities for girls football. So obviously it was... Like there wasn't really any girls' teams without having to travel outside of the area that you lived in. So, like the players from my generation, more than likely, probably played for a, a boys' team. Kind of growing up and, and going into that, and as we got a little bit older, the women's teams and the girls' teams kind of came into the mix a little bit. Maybe more female coaches in the game. That's probably one of the big things as well. Um, having like female role models that you can look up to. That's maybe something. But if you just kind of look at the like the type of football that we play, it's just, it's developing and developing all the time. I mean, obviously the WSL now, if, if you look at the movement and the players that are being attracted to the top league, it just shows it's probably up there, if not one of the best um, women's leagues about. So that just shows that how much support and when it does get supported, what we can, we can go ahead and achieve. Absolutely. And, and just looking ahead to your next game, you've got Lewis um, at New Ferrins on Sunday. They didn't play at the weekend, so I guess it's a little bit difficult to gauge exactly where they are. But yeah, thoughts sort of heading into that one? Obviously, we have to approach that game in the exact same way that we approach the Liverpool game. Um, we don't know anything about Lewis. We, obviously, they've, they've made signings. Um, we don't know much about what, what's happened in pre-season, but you can't really look at that either. Um, if we are kind of going in relatively blind, so that's why we just need to make sure that we prepare, like we focus on ourselves. Um, like that result yesterday, like Lee said in the changing room, that's that kind of ends now. Do you know what I mean? We have to focus on the next game. We just need to make sure we focus on ourselves, make sure that we don't take anything for granted, 
they're obviously a quality team and they've got quality players so we just need to make sure that we're ready and ready to go ahead again on on Sunday make sure we'll have a really good week which we will have I have absolutely no doubt that everyone will be ready to work hard again this week in training and we just need to make sure that we get everything right um, in the preparation to, to take the game on Sunday. What would you say the, say the team's goals and aspirations are for the season ahead in, in a more broader sense? Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, we feel like the, there's not, the pressure isn't on us anymore. We've, we've been up there, thereabouts for the past four years. We've obviously finished in the top four. Um, we've always kind of said we want, to, we want to get up there. We want to be promoted. We want to be playing and competing in the top league. Obviously, there's there's quite a few of the other clubs in the league um, being financially backed this year, and that, it's obviously incredible for the women's game. But with that backing comes pressure. But what we want to do is we want to go ahead and compete. We are aiming for promotion, but without that pressure. So it's the pressure's just got to come from us this year. So it's it's probably a good position to be in. Also in the Championship, Leicester, who have invested a lot this season and gone full time, had a comfortable win. Over the 10-man Blackburn side, thanks to Charlie Devlin and two goals from former Blackburn striker Natasha Flint. And you feel they could be the main challenges to Liverpool this season, potentially. An entertaining South London derby between Shelton and Crystal Palace ended 2 all, And the London City Lionesses suffered a heavy home defeat to another favourite for promotion, Sheffield United, thanks to doubles from Katie Wilkinson and Jade Pennock. And finally, Coventry United won 3-1 against the London Bees. You probably think you're pretty good at multitasking behind the wheel. I mean, you have to multitask to drive. So what's wrong with checking your phone? The thing is, your brain simply doesn't work. a quick reply, affects your concentration, and makes you less able to react to hazards. If you use a mobile phone while driving you're four times more likely to crash. Think. Put your phone away. Well, coming up next, we're going to be talking equal pay. And guys, there's been a lot of news about this this week. Um, It started with Brazil announcing that their men's and women's team will be paid equally. Brazil now joins Australia, Norway and New Zealand among the nations who pay their male and female players the same amount. Bella, we'll hear a little bit later on about what it means for Brazil, but in terms of the FA, a fantastic gesture and one that's gone unnoticed and unannounced up until now. Yeah, I think it's a, a great gesture from the FA, you know, committing to paying England's male and females the same. But however, it was actually David Beckham who took the initiative for the men's team um, to pay the money towards charity. And some of the women who are paid enough are able to do this as well. Um, But it still shows how the women still aren't equally paid. A lot of them aren't able to give the money to charity um, due to prize money from FIFA and UEFA. They're unable to, um, you know, have this gesture to give the money to the charity, which seems such a shame. So it would be great if other FIFA, UFA, UEFA took the initiative to be able to pay women more so that they're able to, to live up to the men's expectations. Well, earlier in the week, our producer Luke and Emily caught up with former ESPN Brazil reporter and journalist Jacqueline Rocha. And they discussed the Brazilian Federation's announcement on equal pay. And they had a bit of a chat about the NWSL in America, which got underway this weekend. So the league starting over this this coming weekend. There's been a lot of changes, hasn't there, to the league format. 
recently, hasn't there? Yeah, actually, for the rest of the the season, what they did to continue the 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 championship, it is to divide the nine teams in three regional pods. So each each pod has three teams: west, northeast, and south, and they only play against each other. So. Um, North Carolina, it's not going to play against Chicago Red Stars or the Utah Royals are not going to play against the Houston Dash. They're only going to play against it, the the teams that are in the same pot as you. So I feel like for this, it's going to be fun to see because North Carolina is the first on standings and Washington Spirits is the second. The pod of, of North Carolina has Orlando Pride and Houston Dash on it. And I feel that if North Carolina don't be really focused on the games, they can be surprised, especially for um, against Houston Dash. Because Orlando Pride lost 11 players on transfer during this entire time. So a lot of players are not going to be our own Alonda Pride, but they they still have Martha, so it always can be a surprise. And Washington Spirit has uh, this pod with Chicago Red Stars and Sky Blue, and I don't see both teams so strong on the league right now. So I think Washington Spirit can go. Uh, and is it still in the race to be the, the, the champion? Yeah, you think Washington Spirit are probably going to be the favourites now to win this? Yeah, I feel like for when you see the pods, I think it can be one of the, the, the favourites. Washington Spirit and North Carolina, yeah. A lot of that American World Cup winning squad that aren't now playing in America, there's been a lot of changes, hasn't there, in terms of, of personnel. As you say, a lot of the players have now left America. Yeah, you can see a lot of transfers, uh, transfers and trades between uh, American teams and English teams especially, like Rachel Daly from Houston Dash. She went to West Ham United because she didn't know what was going to happen with the U.S. championship. And a lot of players went on that direction as well. If you see, there were two, two players that went to Manchester City, that is Rose Lavelle and Samantha Mewis. They went to Manchester City as well because of the uncertainty. So Kristen Press, Toby Heath, they all went to Manchester United. So a lot of players went from the U.S. teams to English teams, and it is cool and it's fun to see that you uh, these players are players of the U.S. national team. So before all this happened, before the COVID, all U.S. national uh, national team players used to play in the U.S. The U.S. championship, the U.S. league. It's more like to see the team playing together, you know, all the U.S. national players all together. And you can see that that's and that is fun. And that's why the league is so important. But it's not competitive. It's not something that the players stay in one club. They change clubs every season. 
and I feel like when the the players see the the English championship, like they, they see Manchester United and Chelsea and City and how they are really, really uh, focusing on the on soccer and trying to make the league better, you get motivated to go there and to do that as well, to play in a such great league. So I I truly believe that these transfers are good for both leagues, English and American, because I feel like the American League has to rethink everything right now. They need to make the, the league more competitive. They need to make players want to be there. You mentioned Rachel Bailey. I mean, it's a funny one that she signed a three-year deal, didn't she, with Houston and moved immediately on loan to West Ham. So do you see a future for her in America? Yeah, I think so. I think like she just she just signed this this new contract for three years with Houston Dash. She went to West Ham as a loan because the news that the, the championship was gonna to return now in September, the US League, uh, was released on August twenty-five. It is really something really it, it happened really fast. But for, for the players she didn't know what, what was going to happen. So she was looking for a team that she could play for the rest of 2020. So I think she's going to come back. But especially because Houston Dash won the, the, the challenge, the women's challenge in the U.S. that happened in July. And she was the best player. So I see her having a better a future in the U.S. league. You know, you mentioned the point around a lot of the American players are now going to England to play. Is there anything that the clubs or the American Federation are doing to try and almost combat that in terms of to, to sort of regrow the league? Because up until fairly recently, America was always where, say, English and British players would go and play their football. So I'd just be intrigued to see if, if there's anything specific that they're doing as a union, as a federation, to try and to try and keep their players in the U.S. I don't know if they're doing anything right now. I don't see it. I feel like they were too comfortable, you know. Yeah. And then the other leagues became better and better and bigger. And then the players are looking at it and saying, "Well, wow, I want to play there. I don't want to just be here," you know. And as you said. A lot of European players want to go to the U.S. to play. And now they can come home, you know. They can go back home to a better championship, to a better league. And as I said, I think right now, after this season is over, the U.S. Federation, the, the league and stuff, will have to rethink a lot of things. Especially because the U uh, a lot of the players, the American players of the U.S. national team, are going to be under 30. So they're going to have to renew everything. And I think they're going to have to renew the idea of the, the league as well to try to make more competitive in a certain way because it is complicated as well because on Europe you have the Champions League. So you have this big competition, this so important competition that makes everything more competitive and better. On the American side you don't have it you have for men's you have libertadores that is similar to the champions league 
but you don't have Libertadores for women. So the only championship that they play, it's their championship. They don't play against Brazilian teams. They don't play against Argentinian teams. They don't play against other teams from other countries. So it's just them. And I think they're going to have to rethink this. Maybe bring more uh, friendly matches against European teams or Brazilian teams and trying to think in a way to make the players feel more competitive. Because right now you see a league that is that and it's like this big bubble where they just see them and only them and play against them like all the time. So you don't see any improvement. And I feel like seeing Europe right now I think you can try to think of a better format, a better model, a better championship for the U.S. as well. What Brazilian players do we look out, need to look out for? Obviously, Marta is there, but who else would you say, as a Brazilian player, do we need to look out for in that league? I feel like the, a, a Brazilian player that used to play on Orlando Pride, she, was, she went back to Brazil and this transfer thing during COVID. So I actually feel that the player that we have to be looking at, it is Marta, because she still have a lot to give. And obviously you have in North Carolina, you have that Dabinha, she's a midfielder. So you can also see her playing in the, in the team that is first on the standings. So it's a good way to see other Brazilian players because she's the only one, the only Brazilian player that, that does not play for Orlando Pride. She's the only one and she's playing for the best team in the competition right now. I feel like Orlando Pride has become a place where Brazilians feel more welcome because of Marta, of course. But I feel like a lot of players, they are not going to, a lot of Brazilian players, they are not looking at the U.S. anymore. They are also looking to Europe as a place to go play. So, speaking of Marta, the news announced earlier in the week, the Brazilian Football Federation announced that Marta and Neymar will get the same equal play when they now play for the national team. So, how big a moment is this in Brazilian soccer? It's huge. Because since, I don't know, four years ago, like, or at least in the World Cup in 2018, the Brazilian championship and the regional championships had grown a lot in Brazil. Uh, in the World Cup, the final was broadcasted by a big TV company and it has this huge audience. People wanted to watch women play. And they did watch it. It was really big. And after that, the, the, the Brazilian championship also became really huge. Today, uh, it's broadcast only online, but it has a lot of views, even though it's online and it's, it's, it's a women's championship. So I feel like this thing, it's really huge because, and not only huge, but really important because women are going to be better and better each year it's gonna have more investment so i i i for me was such an, a 
big accomplishment. And it's good because after you, after the Brazilian news was released, the English for Confederation also said that both teams are getting equal pay. So it's really big and it good. It's good because other confederations are doing the same. So it's really important to see all the world on this together. Jacqueline, that's been great. Thank you for uh, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, guys. I really hope to come back to talk more about the U.S. League. And finally, back in July, the 2023 World Cup was given to Australia and New Zealand, which came as a bit of a surprise to some. And here to tell us all about how the early preparations are going, we spoke to New Zealand-based sports producer Karis Newton earlier on in the week. Well, Karis, it's great to have you on the uh, on the pod this week. And obviously you're in New Zealand, so the best place to start, obviously we'll talk about the fact that 2023 Australia and New Zealand will be hosting the Women's Football World Cup. Can you just tell us a bit about what the reaction's been like in the country? Did you guys expect to be hosting? Yeah, in terms of the reaction over here, I think a lot of the bid talk had kind of got lost in the noise. So... As far as everyone was aware, it was sort of a fairly close race between sort of Japan and Australia, New Zealand, COVID at least. And then Japan kind of dropped out, but that was sort of drowned out by COVID. So then it was just kind of announced that this massive tournament. And I think just it, it did cut through all the rest of the news and everyone was just a bit like, oh, cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it just sort of took people by surprise, but obviously overwhelmingly positive New Zealand's got this great culture of women's sport over here you know you have Jacinda Ardern getting involved in supporting it mm. um we're holding the women's cricket world cup here uh, which has just been moved to 2022 so I think it's I think it's a really strong time in New Zealand for for women's sport in general across the board yeah well 2022 2023 are the years to be uh, in the southern hemisphere for absolutely women. <laughs> lots um, to look forward to <laughs> It's quite an interesting dynamic because obviously when a lot of uh, sport fans, when they think of Australia and New Zealand, the first sport they think of is rugby. So the fact that you're hosting one of the biggest football tournaments in the calendar year, what's that going to be like? Are you going to have people switching from, uh, from the egg to the, uh, to the round shape ball? I mean, a hands up, rugby is a religion down here. So very similar to sort of football mania in Europe. It's just a different shape ball so <laughs> kind of just transfer that to another sport but saying that women uh, football and particularly women's football down here is one of the fastest growing sports and a huge push towards kind of increasing participation and you can actually really see that in the bid um so the bid between Australia and New Zealand was called as one and it's kind of a bit of firsts in the sense that it's the first in the southern hemisphere it was the first time that it'll be a collaboration between two federations so Australia is part of the Asian region and New Zealand part of Oceania. So yeah. I think kind of across the board, just geographically, it's going to do huge things throughout Australia, throughout the Pacific. And the bid was really aimed at increasing gender participation in the sport. So they're looking for parity. They're looking for 7% year-on-year increases in participation. So there's, there's definitely an appetite down for it here. And most Kiwis, I know at least, um, speaking personally, have the football team. The All Blacks is the religion, probably cricket there too, but a lot of them will have a Premier League team or they'll follow the Champions League mm. um, or women's football, uh, particularly the, the American Soccer League. It's, it's huge, the women's league. 
And in terms of the home nations, um, as a fan, will there be an expectancy for Australia and New Zealand, you know, to perform well when the World Cup comes around? Uh, yeah, everyone, everyone's waiting for, you know, I think everyone's expecting us to deliver. And we've got a good track record down here of hosting these things. Obviously, Sydney's had the Commonwealth and the Olympics. Uh, Gold Coast, sorry, had the Commonwealth. Sydney had the Olympics. But New Zealand has also had the America's Cup. It's previously hosted a Rugby World Cup. And the under-20s World Cup was here a few years ago, and that was by all, all means very well received. But again, I think it's just embedded in that really strong sporting culture down here. People will generally get involved with any sport that's going mm -hmm. on. And, and yeah, I think the expectation is fully that everyone will come to the table and get involved. Yeah. One thing I have to say I love about Australia and New Zealand, um, I was actually at the Commonwealth Games at the Gold Coast, and you guys in your corner of the world, you love to throw a party, have an event. I love how oh, yeah. at the time, like the community, everyone was just so on board, even you know, people who didn't have an interest in sport, everyone was just so excited that the tournament was being held there. And I imagine it's gonna be even bigger. There's yeah, there's a real culture of sort of you put your TV on, you crack open your beverage of choice and everyone just has it on the background, they watch, they get involved. I know a good chunk of my family down here spend New Year's watching cricket. That's what they do <laughs> over New Year's. And, you know, there's the, obviously the old stereotype of the barbecue. There's normally sport in the background if that's happening. So, yeah, I think it just really plays into that slightly laid-back way of life and that real love of sport down here. So I think it's, if you're a fan coming here, it's, my gosh, it'll be the best place to be. I'm so excited for it. One thing we've been talking about on the podcast this week is diversity in sport, equal pay. Obviously, the big story earlier this week was the fact that the Brazilian women's team um, were now going to be paid equal to the men's team. But in New Zealand, you guys have been doing that for the past two or three years, am I right? Yes. So, yeah, and this is really interesting. It's really encouraging to see countries who've had a really long-standing history of football culture starting to do this. So, it, it is something that New Zealand's been doing since 2018 and it does it pretty well. So there's parity in pay for representing your country abroad. So participations in Olympics, World Cups, etc. Um, but also in image use through advertising and video games and also travel. You're not allowed to fly one team first class and then stick the other in coach. Like if you are representing your country and you are going to be under the same level of pressure, um, it's parity and I think people forget sometimes that women's football has really really just exploded over the past few years the 2019 women's world cup was the final was what by 1.12 billion people now that eclipses the final of the rugby world cup in Japan the men's rugby world cup mm -hmm. so it is this huge commodity and there will be a lot of pressure on teams to perform it's, it's a huge stage so I think as women's football continues to grow, this is something we'll probably see more of, and, and I'm hopeful that we will. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And remember, you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can stay across all the latest news and new episodes on our social media channels. We are at TWFP1 on Twitter and at the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram. Well, thank you so much again to the panel, Emily, Bella and Mittal for joining me this week. Thanks, guys. Thank you thank all. You. Thank you so much. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. <laughs>